All right, ladies and gentlemen, that would be you. Welcome back to Jupernatural. So we have a fantastic class in store for you today. It's all about jinx and the evil eye. Great topic. We're going to have a great conversation. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy, and buckle up as we, uh, as we do this. All right, so I want to begin with what I consider to be a famous joke. The joke goes that a man, hey Mindy, good to see you, welcome. So a man uh, boards, he, he uh, boards a plane, he sits down next to, next to a woman, she's in the seat next to him, and she sees, and, sorry, and he sees that she's wearing a ring, and it's the largest, most stunning ring he's ever seen. And he says to her, wow, what a beautiful ring. That's the most beautiful diamond I've ever seen. And she says to him, ah, this, this is the Goldstein diamond, but it comes with a curse. So the man says, what's the curse? Mr. Goldstein. That's, oi, terrible, terrible. Oi, terrible. All right, then of course there's the other one. There's the other one that uh, goes like this. So there was a lonely Russian who decides to buy a parrot on the black market. Why a parrot? I don't know, parrots can speak and they can keep you company, apparently. So he buys this parrot. And every time a friend comes over, the parrot starts disparaging Putin. Says, Putin is a moron, he's a dictator, he's evil, etc. Well, one night, in the middle of the night, it's 2 a.m., and there's a pounding at the door. And the man hears at his apartment door, KGB, open up. He panics. He has a feeling he knows what this is. He grabs the parrot, and he throws the parrot into the freezer, and closes the door. The KGB officers, they're looking around for the parrot. They can't find the parrot. Eventually they leave, and Putin, not Putin, and the guy opens up the freezer and pulls out his parrot. And he says, whew, that was crazy. The government agents are the absolute worst. The parrot replies the following and says, Putin is the best democratic leader of the free world. I am a fan of Putin. And the owner of the parrot says to the parrot, what do you mean? He just sent his goons to kill you. And the parrot says, listen, leave me alone. I just got, got back from Siberia, right? Let me, let me have my opinions and that's it. All right, so today we're going to speak about the power of curses, like the Goldstein diamond and the power of words. All right, we have an incredible discussion today. Last week, just to remind you, last week we spoke about astrology. And um, we discover that while the stars hold messages that can influence our reality, it's quite difficult, if not impossible, to decipher what those messages are. Plus, we have the power to alter our destiny for the good through prayer, Torah study, and mitzvot and good deeds, which means, as we concluded last week, that it's probably prudent to spend less time worrying about the future, worrying about our destiny, and more time actually shaping it and creating it. So today we look at our next supernatural topic, or supernatural topic, which is curses and the evil eye, or jinx. Jinx is in the evil eye. Um, anybody know any Yiddish curses? Any Yiddish curses? Yeah. What do you got? Like, I don't remember if I can say it smoothly now. Yeah, right. Yeah, with the feast with the head and the. You should be like an onion. The cup. And the head. Yeah. Good. Right. Be like an onion. 
you grow with your, right, your head in the ground and feet in the air. Yeah, it's a classic one. What else? Other Yiddish curses. Other Yiddish curses. There's some, I mean, if you, if you look this up, it, they are, there are some hilarious Yiddish curses. I don't know if they're hilarious. They're so, they're bitingly devastating. Um, I saw an interview with Hai Eisman. He's the fellow who wrote and, uh, and drew the Popeye comic strip. And so he says that he could go for 10 minutes straight with Yiddish curses, one after the other, without repeating himself. I mean, that's how proficient he is in Yiddish curses. So that's regarding curses. And then you have the evil eye, the eye in hara. And when it comes to the evil eye, right? You ever hear of red string? You ever see, uh, you ever yeah. see a red string? Anybody have a red string? Yeah? Yeah, strings around the crib. Some people put up, yeah, some people put up uh, a prayer, the shilam alot, right? That, the prayer up on the, in the bedroom of the, of the child. So clearly curses and evil eyes are things that are a part of Jewish life and Jewish legend. But the question that we're going to ask today is, what's the deal with curses and with the evil eye? What's the deal? Like, do these things actually work? Does Judaism really believe in the power of curses and the power of the evil eye? Um, and if yes, where, from where do they actually get power? What's the power of a curse and what's the power of the evil eye? And is there a way to stop these from having negative effects? All of this is what we're going to deal with today. So today we are, we are going to explore the topic of curses and the evil eye from a uniquely Jewish perspective. We're going to sift through over a thousand years of Jewish scholarship to make sense of this topic. Our class, our class today takes part in three acts. Act number one, the curse of the billy goat. Act number two, amulets, chamsas, and red strings, oh my. And finally, act three, bless your heart. All right, these are the three acts that the, the class will be taking place in. Let's jump in. I want to begin by taking the temperature of the room. Um, and ask you what you all feel about these topics. So question number one, do you believe in the power of curses? If yes, raise your hand. Power of curses, yes. I think can give you, like, like try to cause evil in your life. Like okay, but do you believe that that has power? Um, People definitely wish evil on others. The question yes. is, does that cause actual harm? You have, okay, okay. I'm not sure, but like, why test, why <laughs> test it? Why mess, why, why mess with it? Why yeah. mess with it? Okay, good. Just in case. Okay, fair. Give it a, what is it? Give it a kin of horror? Is that what people Well, that's, you, that's for the evil eye. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, like, don't, yeah. don't mess with that. Like, All right. When I walk by a pole and I'm with somebody, I always jump to the side they're on because it cuts the relationship in half. Ah, interesting. Yeah, like, well, okay. <laughs> I was just going to ask about superstitions. Good. All right. Hold on. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Let me ask the next question. Do you believe in the power of the evil eye? Evil eye. Ayan Hara. No, a little less? Yes. What We have to define that. Good. But if I just ask that question, without defining it. Yeah. I have a couple of Eli Jolie. Okay, okay. Wait, to create or to ward it off? To ward it off. Oh, so, all right. So, all right, good. I'm not creating. Okay, good. I'm just checking. Yeah. When you say, do we believe in the power of Eli? Yes. The question is, is whether the thing has power or whether we are affected by the suggestion that the thing has power. Okay, you're saying it's a um, placebo effect. Um, 
slight placebo. It's very close to placebo. I'm not sure if it's, you know, 100% or Okay. Because um, a placebo is something that, you know, that gives you, that you consciously take to think that no you're doing the right thing. This is an, a, a similar, but it's an assumption that you're being affected by it. Got it. When it doesn't have an actual effect, they're, they're close. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, it's kind of close. I'm thinking it's close. Okay, good. Next question. Do, yes. So, so it's a piece of jewelry. Uh -huh. okay? And it's like when we were in Israel, I mean, they were in all the jewelries. Okay? Uh -huh. So what is this? It's supposed to prevent you from people from the envy of you. It prevents uh, shopkeepers from losing money on the sale. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Good, good, good. You're at... You're ask good. You're asking good question. We're gonna get so we're gonna get to some specific examples and, and explore. That's exactly what we're exploring today. Now, next question: Do you believe in the power of superstitions, superstitious yes. beliefs? Yes. Superstitions. Okay. By raise of hand. Okay. Some of you. Um, next question: What are some Jewish superstitions that you know of? Jewish superstition. Right. You're saying where do we start? You Promote and advertise your wealth. Okay. You might lose it. Got, good. What else? Everything. Everything is You're saying life, life is one big super, Jewish yeah. superstition. Okay, but let's get but some specifics. Yeah. Well, there was a superstition that if you, um, you weren't supposed to do anything to the baby's room until the baby. Oh, that's a good one. Excellent. 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 Are people still doing that or not doing that? Is that still being practiced? Certain people are and certain people are not. Certain are, certain are not. Okay. Tell me about the string on the baby. So we'll get into that. We'll get into that soon. Good. So, um, what about telling people? What about finding out the gender? You heard that one to not find out that some people don't find out the gender. No, maybe. Okay. What else? <laughs> well, that's also what. Good point. What about um, what about uh, what other Jewish superstitions do we know? No, but we want to hear like good good ones. I'm here. I'm here to learn juicy ones. So if things, if she was concerned about something, like if, if she said something, it, you could. <laughs> yes. Oh, she would spit. Spit. Spitting. Okay. Spitting. And her other superstitions, which were, I think, pretty horrible. But when I was pregnant, I was not allowed. If somebody came by with a disability, she would like physically turn. Oh, exactly. Wow. Oh, okay. That wasn't just her. Okay. So moving away from any sort of disability when pregnant. Okay. It would affect the fetus. Interesting. Okay. Oh, right, right. No funerals if you're pregnant. Okay. No funerals if you're pregnant. What else? Other superstitions. Yes. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that. Don't sit at the corner. Yes. Yes. I, I, I heard this one. Don't sit at the corner. If you sit at the corner, no, no, no. You're fine. No, you're at the edge. Sit at the corner, then you won't. You won't. Uh, no shirk for you. No, no marriage. No wedding. Don't walk under a ladder. Good. What else? What else? Huh? Break a mirror. I don't know if that's, is it Jewish? Mirror? Not necessarily. Black cat. I think that's also not. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Bread and salt when you move into a new house. What do you do with that? What do you do with the bread and salt? I know you bring it in. That's like the first thing you bring. Oh, uh, Joel, can you grab? Can you grab the door, please? You just bring bread and move it. Yeah. Yes, it's like it's like a good it's a good omen and good good thing for blessing. Always have. Oh, sorry. A penny in your purse, like that. Was that just something my grandma? Always a penny in your purse. Don't have it empty, so it shouldn't be empty. Interesting. 
zero. Like you have some Always some, some guilt on you. Yeah, some. All right, yeah. that's good. Don't walk over a baby. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, don't walk over. over. I heard don't step over any. Stop growing up. Oh, yeah. What about not stepping on any person? I heard, like, we used to hear not to step on any living, any living being. No, no, over, over, over. No, I'm sorry, not on, but over. If someone's lying down, to step over them would be. said if you step over a child, then they won't grow. Yes. Okay, yes. Also, don't put your purse on the floor. Did you ever get that? Yes. No. Yes. Don't put on the floor. Never heard that one. That's fascinating. Maybe because it got stolen. I'm kidding. I don't know. Why the money? What? You lose the money. Wow. You somebody triggered a memory of one for me. What was it? I forget. It slipped right out of my head. Um, okay. What do you guys think? What else? Other superstitions. That's also true. Oh, throwing salt. Who mentioned throwing yeah, salt? You throw salt over your shoulder, right? Is that Jewish or is that just true? I think it's Jewish. Everybody. It's everybody. You throw it on the kids. Somebody told me that there's this, they have a superstition in their family, or their mother or grandmother did this. When she wanted um, guests to leave, they would, throw, like, you know, they would throw salt at their feet, toward their feet. How messy is that? I don't know how that's a good strategy. But it would, right? It's a little, yeah, it's a little strange. What about swinging the chicken? Swing the chicken for kaparas. I don't know if that's a superstition, but that's a minhag. That's a custom. Right. Right, to, to ward off uh, or to get rid of the sins. What else? Okay, this is a little extra. When a girl menstruates for the first time, the mother slaps her in the face. Oh, wow. Wow. You're a woman I never heard that one. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. That's very interesting. That was passed that passed on the family. So when a woman menstruates, a girl menstruates for the first time, she gets slapped. Who? The mother slaps her in the face, or somebody? Anybody? The mother. Right. And then. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I have never heard of that. And then we wonder why as a people there's a little bit of trauma, right? Then we wonder why is there the trauma? All right, let's um, let's so 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 these yeah, it kept it kept the therapist in business. Let's put it that way. All right, yeah. Seven times. Seven times. That's why I would call that more of a custom and not necessarily a superstition. It's also to protect to ward off the to ward off the evil spirits. Okay, okay, that works. Um, all right, let's jump in. I, what I want to do is, first of all, because it came up in conversation, let's define the difference between a curse and the evil eye. And what is the evil eye anyway? So let's talk about what that is. Um, all right, here we go. So a curse is a verbal, something uttered verbally, mm-hmm. right? Negatively, it's a verbal assault on someone else, wishing them harm through words. What's the evil eye? Basically the same thing, except without saying it, it's thinking it, right? That's what the evil eye means, not how to ward off the evil eye. But what is the evil eye? It would be somebody looking negatively at someone else, right? Either out of jealousy or anger and someone wishing harm, God forbid, but wishing harm upon that other person who they for whatever reason, are unhappy about their success or their blessings. So again, the curse would be, it's, it's essentially, both are about 
putting or wishing for harm on the other. One is saying it, right? And one is thinking it. But there's a big difference. The one that's thinking it, the other person doesn't know. Correct. That's really Good. So we're going to get into the distinction between thinking and saying and seeing how big is that distinction and how it plays into Jewish law and, uh, and practice. Okay, good. But that's a little bit of working definition. Now, famous curses in pop culture. Okay, number one, any, anybody familiar with Romeo and Juliet? Yes. Yeah? You remember um, um, the curse on the Montagues and the Capulets? No. No? M- Mercutio, right? It was a curse, a plague on both of your ha- on, on both of your houses. Yeah, that was the that was the the curse. That was then. What about Harry Potter? Any Harry Potter fans? Anybody read Harry yet? I read the first page and that was it. But Harry Potter is all about a world filled with curses and spells. Any baseball fans? Baseball fans. Baseball fans. A little bit. A little bit of baseball. Okay. So if you recall, um, the legend. So two teams. We'll talk about Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. Two curses, the curse of the Bambino and the curse of the Billy Goat. You familiar with this? The curse of the Bambino is probably the more famous one. So it's a, it, the, it go, the legend is like this, that in 1920, so the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth for money. Basically they sold him for cash to the New York Yankees. From that point on, they did not win the World Series for um, over, over 80 years. Finally, in 2004, they won the World Series, and that was like, they finally broke the curse. That was like what, what, what was being said. And then you have the curse of the Billy Goat with the Chicago Cubs. Let's start with this one. Um, this is fun. This is text number one. Please open up your books. I'm sorry, not, te- not page 81. Did I say 81? Or you said 81? Page 81. Okay, fantastic. Page 81, text number one. Um, Mindy, do you, if you don't mind, please get started. Legend has it that a Chicago tavern owner named Bill, Billy Goat Cianis, pronounced a curse on the club on October 6, 1945, just a month after the end of World War II. Cianis went to Wrigley to cheer on his beloved Cubs against the Detroit Tigers in the World Series, according to the tavern website, which dedicates a page to the Billy Goat curse. For game four, he purchased a ticket for himself and one for his pet goat, Murphy, thinking it would bring the Cubs luck. <laughs> but Usher stopped Sienna's from entering with Murphy. Sienna's appealed directly to then club owner, P.K. Wrigley, asking him why he couldn't take his personal mascot to the game. Because the goat stinks, Wrigley replied, according to the Billy Goat Tavern. So Sienna's threw his arms up and cursed the team. The Cubs ain't gonna win no more, he declared. When the Cubs lost the series to the Tigers, Sienna's sent Wrigley a telegram. Who stinks now, it read. Great story. Your hometown. That's my hometown. Little Chicago. Wrigley Chicago. Field. Yeah, that's the right. field that, right? And Wrigley Field. They Named after. And they didn't win for years. And when did they finally win? 2016. Yeah. Just six years ago was the first time. A huge deal. And they finally broke. They broke the curse of the Billy Goat. Now, here's the thing. I have my own theory. Sorry to be like anti-curse here for a second. I have my own theory. And has to do with a Jewish guy named Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein was the general manager of the Boston Red Sox um, in the early 2000s. He put together the team that won the World Series for Boston and broke the curse. And then he left the Red Sox, went to the Chicago Cubs, and he put together that team 
that won the World Series. So he has, he's two for two in breaking the curses. And now he doesn't work for any team, he works for baseball, and he's behind the new rules to speed up the game. I don't know if you've been aware this year of baseball, there's a pitch count, there's like a, a, a timer on the, on the game to speed it up, and anyway, he's behind that. But anyway, moving back to our conversation. So curses certainly are prevalent in pop culture, in, in secular society. And they also have a pretty rich tradition in Judaism as well. Think about Torah itself, and think about the opening chapters of Bereshit, of Genesis. Right? What curses do you recall from the opening few chapters of Genesis? Curses. Who's getting cursed? Yeah. God, right, Hashem, God curses Adam. Yes, and he curses Eve. And then he curses the serpent, right? He says, Adam, you're going to have to work hard. Eve, it's going to be difficult to bring life into this world. And serpent, you're going to go slithering on your belly. And then God curses Cain after Cain uh, kills his brother Abel, so he curses Cain, and he, you know, pillar of salt, exactly. And then you have in this week's Torah, that was a blessing. They were fighting for the blessing, yeah. Um, and then there is, there's in this week's Torah portion coming up, uh, the the last Torah portion of Leviticus, Veikra Bechukotai, talks about forty nine curses for breaking the divine covenant. And then later on in Torah, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's again 98 curses. Anyway, so what's the point? The point of all this is, is that curses are found in Torah. And it seems that God has the ability to curse and for those curses to land hard. The question that we're going to address today is not, can God curse? That's kind of like saying, can God punish? The answer is certainly yes. The question is, you and I. When we curse, not that we should, right? But if a person were to curse, verbally curse someone else, would that have any effect or would it not have any effect? What is the mechanism by which that could work or does work? And what are the ways to thwart? If it does work, what are the ways to thwart a curse? Let's look at the text. So let's continue with text number two. Lisa, if you don't mind, please read in text number two. Oh, okay. I have my arms aren't long enough. No worries. No worries at all. Um, Joel, please take it away. This is text number two, and it's all it's a very short text, but it carries a pretty big lesson in it. Please take it away. Do not curse a deaf person. Okay, so the Torah says not to curse. The Torah prohibits cursing someone who cannot hear. And now the question is that there's a few questions. Before I ask my questions on this verse, what are your questions on this verse? What did you, what did you say? So your your question is if they can't hear it, what's the problem? It's horrible. Oh, you're saying it's worse. Yeah, it's much worse. It's worse because the person can't hear what they can't hear it and they can't defend themselves. It's behind their back. Good. I like that. But they also can't be bothered by it. Oh, the flip side is good. The flip side is that if they can't if they can't be bothered by it, so maybe it's not so bad. Right. Good. All right. I, I think uh, I think these are. These are the questions. I have another question. It says, do not curse a deaf person. What does that imply about someone who can hear? You understand my question? It doesn't matter. So Torah only says not to curse a deaf person, but hey, you can hear it. I can curse you. Is that what it means? It seems a little odd. And then the second question I have is, what's actually the problem with cursing someone who can't hear? Um, if they can't hear it, uh, then maybe it won't hurt them. Like you're saying, it's kind of like the philosophical question, you know, the famous philosophical question. Three false words. Three false words. No one, right? No one's around. Doesn't make a sound. 
They can't, right, so that, right, I think that what was Claire was saying is that on the flip side, it's worse because now they can't defend themselves, protect themselves against the curse. They don't know that it's happening. It's kind of like, would you rather people speak about you to your face or behind your back? Those are kind of like the, the two. Either way, it's not good. The question is, which is, which is worse? So what happens if you curse someone, it's not here. I'm cursing somebody, I don't know, on the other side of the sea. That would probably fall under the, that would probably fall under the category of do not curse a deaf person. But we want to jump into that. Cursing somebody needs to hear it. No, 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 one second. No, we're going to explore what's the deal. No, no, you're asking a good question. But let's, let's look at this. So the way all of, pretty much every commentary says about this is the Torah is not limiting the prohibition to cursing a deaf person or somebody that can't hear the curse. It's certainly someone who can hear it and even someone who can't. In other words, cursing someone is wrong. Don't do it. That's statement number one. Lest you think that you can get away with it because the person's not hearing or maybe you're going to think that it's not going to cause any harm because they're not hearing it, you're just saying it, you know, they can't hear it anyway, they're deaf, or maybe they're across the, you know, across the ocean or whatever it is, the Torah says, do not do it. Why? Um, we're going to talk about that why, but the point is that there is still damage that can happen, even if the other person can't and might never hear what is being said about them. So let's take a look at text number three. Here, the Sefer HaChinuch, which is a book uh, that explains the rationale, the reasoning behind all 630 mitzvot from a philosophical, from an interesting perspective. So here, the Sefer HaChinuch explains what is at the core of the curse. Um, tell me your name. Bella, would you like to read? No, you want to pass? Okay, take it away. Yeah, text three. We can't the power of the curse. We cannot understand the mechanism through which the curse affects its subject and how words have this power. But we know that all people, both Jews and non-Jews, take curses seriously and believe that even the curse of an ordinary person has an effect on the subject, bringing misfortune and distress. Knowing that this is the case, we can suggest that this is a reason for the transgression. I don't know. Transgression. transgression. What's the Avera, the sin. Ah, Avera, okay. God is forbidding us from cursing damage to others with our lips, just as, as he forbids us from damaging them with our actions. Thank you. What's interesting about the Chinuch is he says, we don't know necessarily the mechanism by which this works, but it works. Everyone believes in it. Everyone, many people believe in it. So it works and therefore it is forbidden. It doesn't matter whether or not the other person hears it or they know it's you or they don't know it's you. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference whether they can hear, they can't hear. None of that, none of that matters at all. What matters is not to say something, not to utter a curse towards someone else. Why? That makes sense, because instead of do not curse a deaf person, why doesn't it just say do not curse? Period. Good. Period. Excellent. Excellent. Maybe you... contradictory yes. to what you just read. Yes. I think, I think the understanding is an excellent question. Is that <laughs> if... Curse, but if you're going to curse... <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> right. <laughs> Make sure it lands hard. No, I think if it would have said do not curse, we might have thought... It only means someone who hears it and is going to get, you know, psychologically affected by that and get, you know, like, 
you know, emotionally affected by hearing the curse. Whereas a deaf person would not be a problem. So that's why all the commentators are explaining, no, 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 it's anybody, it's everybody. Do not curse the deaf person means even someone who can't hear, it still hurts. In other words, the hurt is not just because you heard what was saying about you and now you feel bad about it, right? It's not just that you heard it, it's that it was said. It's kind of like, anybody familiar with what's been going on recently, what's been called the Havana Syndrome? Like CIA, American CIA, like people in, in, um, in Cuba have been complaining of like headaches and, 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 and like an, an illness and they think there's some sort of sonic um, warfare happening, like sounds being pumped in. There's no evidence. I looked it up because uh, I wanted to mention it in this context. I looked it up. There's no evidence that that's actually a thing, but that's at least the theory of maybe why all these people are getting sick is some sort of sonic warfare, right? Some, some, some sounds that you can't hear, they're still having an effect. And I think you don't have to sound too like woo-woo and, and, and metaphysical here, Yet, we're going to sound like that soon, but not, not yet. But the point is that, that, the, that certain things can affect someone else even if they don't hear it. They never heard it. They didn't, it, didn't, it, it. It's not that you said something nasty and the person found out about it or they heard it directly and then they, they, it, you know, it, it hurt them psychologically and emotionally. No, they don't even know that this was said. That's what it means by a deaf person. Somebody who doesn't even know that it was said. It still can hurt them. He says, just like uh, God forbids us from damaging another with our actions, we can't damage with our lips. How that works, he's not going to get into. We'll get into soon how that works. But he's saying that the core idea here is not, listen, are you allowed to punch somebody in the face when they're looking at you? No. Are you allowed to punch someone in the face when they're not looking at you? Also not. So that's the point over here. You can't curse someone when they're aware of it. You can't curse someone when they're not aware of it. Either way, it's hurting them objectively and you can't do that. Yeah. Good. Good. That's where evil eye comes in. We'll deal with that soon. Good. We're going to get to one at a time. Yeah. To me, um, um, it's kind of like the expression, um, what goes around comes around. Yeah. I really do. And that I see. I mean, I see that for sure. All about Kabbalah is that you can't wish harm on anybody. Or it's going to come back to you. Right. Even when they're bad. But don't you see? I mean, you know, I've seen it so many times. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't ever. I always try to love that. My enemy and my horrible neighbor does just try so hard. Right. And it's God's test to me, like how I react to it. Right. You're saying so like like putting out negative energy through our words only serves to come around. I have so many times, I mean, in business right. and whatnot, mm-hmm. seeing how it it, come, it comes around right. and hurts yeah. that person. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that, um, I mean, I, I believe that it will eventually come around. Right. I just, but but anyway. Yeah, people that are like me, I don't wish harm on them. When something bad happens to them, I'm like, oh, that's probably what God has done to, you know. Right. The energy, once you put the energy out there. Now, all of this is uh, what, may, what most of the commentaries on the Torah tell us about the prohibition against cursing someone else. But Maimonides, the ever-rational philosopher, has a bit of a different take. This is very important. He has a completely different understanding of why the prohibition against cursing uh, the deaf person exists. Text number four. Eve, please read text four, page 85. 
One may have thought that the reason we are forbidden from cursing our fellows is because when they hear the curse, they will be pained and distressed. According to this logic, cursing deaf people should not be forbidden because they will never hear the curse and be distressed by it. The Torah, however, disabuses us of this notion and cautions us that cursing deaf people is also forbidden. The reason for this prohibition is that the Torah is not only concerned with the feelings of the subjects of the curse, but with the character of the cursor as well. We are cautioned not to incite ourselves to revenge or accustom ourselves to expressing anger. So listen to Maimonides. Let me break down what he's saying. He's saying like this. He's taking much less of a metaphysical approach and saying that if you say something, if you curse someone and they can't hear it, it still has an effect. He's like, I don't know about that. But you know who it affects? Not necessarily the other. But you know who it for sure affects? You. Because what did you do? You, yeah, the cursor, he says. Right? We are... Um, it's the, it's the character of the cursor. If you're, not you, if someone curses a deaf person, it means that there's anger, it means that there's jealousy, it means that there's rage, I don't know what, all of these all negative, negative emotions, energy. negative energy, and, and ultimately the point is, oh, but they'll never know about it, so it's not gonna hurt them. But guess what? If you're filled with that, it's all, it's all hurting you. The Torah says, don't be in that state where you're going to curse, whether it's going to hurt them because they can hear it or whether they will never hear it, but it's still going to hurt you. That's what the, that the Torah means when he says don't curse. When the Torah says don't curse a deaf person, it means because that, that would hurt, ultimately that would end up hurting you as a human being and your character. And it's so, you a bad person. Yes. So what's, what's amazing about Maimonides' take is, is that he's, he's explaining how the Torah is concerned, not just about, you know, when we think about, um, you know, harm, is that don't harm the other. Torah here is saying don't harm yourself. It's like the famous line they say about resentment. Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other is going to die, right? It's like being in a state of, of hate and, and, and resent is ultimately not good. It's hazardous to our own health, right? It takes off years of our own life. If we're happy and forgiving and, and not in the state of like, you know, anger and cursing and ah, uh, then it's just healthier for us. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's a problem. Yes. And most... It's punishing. Yeah, maybe it's more punishing. Yeah, you could say it's more punishing than cursing, wishing ill. There's what, right, that's why I said it's one thing for God to curse slash punish, but it's another for a person to verbally wish ill on someone else. That's a bit of a different, and that's what we're talking about now. But you're right, if you look at it that way. But I will tell you that notwithstanding what Rambam, what Maimonides just said, most commentaries understand the prohibition against cursing that it's going to hurt the other even if they can't hear it because there is some sort of metaphysical, non-tangible effect, energy, force, whatever, that can negatively affect the other person, which we are going to break down a little bit later. Now, regarding the evil eye. So that's reg uh, with regards to curses. Now, with regards to the evil eye, um, it, we have the same two ways of looking at it. What most sages say and what Maimonides says. And, and we'll break it down in the same way. But first to reset, the evil eye is essentially the same thing as a curse, except instead of saying something, the person just thought it. So instead of saying like, oh, I hope you uh, experience such and such, it's not saying it, it's just like thinking, I hope that they experience such and such, <laughs> right? And that's the evil eye. What, what's the evil eye? Because we're looking, somebody's looking at the other in a negative way and hoping for, God forbid, a negative uh, thing to befall them. 
Um, so here too, as I just mentioned before, we find two positions. Most Jewish scholars believe that the evil eye can have a negative effect on the subject of, on the person to whom that evil eye is being trained upon. In other words, many, m most authorities, Jewish authorities believe that if someone thinks and wishes, not verbally, but wishes internally ill on someone else, that other person could get harmed in the process. Whereas Maimonides, as we'll see, says it's not about them, it's about you. Don't be the one who's wishing ill on other people. Right, that's about you. We'll see this inside. Let's take a look at text number five. Let's keep on going in, the, in this textbook. And um, Joanne, right? Yeah. Joanne, please read text number five on page 86. Here is a classic Mishnah, a teaching from Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers. Uh, no, it would be where it says Rabbi Yehoshua. Yehoshua, yeah. Said an evil eye, the evil inclination, and the hatred of one's fellows drive a person from the world. Thank you. So here we have what we might call um, three deadly sins of Judaism. You know, there's like the seven deadly sins. I don't think that's a Jewish source, but here we have three deadly sins. These are three things that drive a person from the world. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bad, pretty rough. The first one is ayin hara, evil eye. The second one is yetzer hara, an evil inclination. And the third is sinat habriot, hatred of one's fellow. Um, in perhaps different terms, we might say that these are the three sins of envy, lust, and wrath. Right? Evil eye is envy. Evil inclination, lust, right? And hatred of one's fellow, that would be, hey, that would be wrath, would be anger, hatred, animosity, etc. So these would be the three vices that take a person out of this world. And what's the problem with the first one? Um, what's the problem? We're gonna have a bit of a some pictures taken of the class, just FYI. So, and what's the problem with the first one with the evil eye. Um, the problem with the first one is that it harms both parties. In other words, looking negatively at, at, um, looking negatively at others harms both parties. It harms them, and then who mentioned the karma effect that it comes back? Was that you, Joanne? Right, and then not only does it harm them, but it comes back to harm you. That's how most uh, commentaries understand it. However, Maimonides, as we'll see soon, um, understands that the evil eye is not this idea of, of envy or, or hatred, but rather it's greed. Evil eye simply means greed, that the person wants more and more and drives themselves to a negative place because of their desire for more and more. People are sometimes driven to extremes and to extreme negativity in the pursuit of whatever it is. And so that's what's being cautioned against in this context. All right, let's read this inside in text number six. Claire, if you don't mind, please read text number six on page 86. This is coming from the Rashbats. The Rashbats um, uh, explains, he breaks down two different ways of understanding the Mishnah uh, that we just read. 
Maimonides explains that the evil eye means greediness. Being greedy can drive people from this world because obsessive pursuit of wealth can lead people to place themselves in dangerous circumstances. Keep going? Yeah, please. I disagree with this explanation. The Talmudic definition of evil eye is well known. It refers to looking at a fellow's property with jealousy or hatred, which causes material damage so look at that. So we have my so we have two opinions. Once again, the same lines as before. So the Maimonides, who's again just to understand Maimonides, Rambam was always the rationalist. He's the one that said astrology. Eh, eh, don't believe in it. Eh, don't take it so seriously. He's also that says curses. It's not hurting them. It's hurting you, right? It doesn't have magical powers. It's don't hurt yourself by being so angry at someone that you're going to curse them. And he says the same thing with evil eye. Evil eye, it's not, it's not going to hurt them. Evil eye means that you are driven by greed to do foolish things. Because you're driven by greed and the desire for more, so it's just, it's just going to lead to negative things. It's going to lead to negative things and hurt yourself. Whereas the Rashbat says, I disagree with Rambam. I disagree with Maimonides. What does he say? He says that the Talmudic definition of evil eye is well known. It means looking at someone else with jealousy or hatred, which causes material damage. Look, look at that. It causes material damage to the person and their property. It can hurt them. And guess what? And then it hurts the person. It drives them from this world as well. Make sense? So we have these two opinions. So if I ask you, based on what we just learned, this is not a, this is not a, a new question, but just a review question. If I ask you, based on what we learned, do curses have an objective negative effect on someone else. What would you say? Yes. Depends who you ask, right? Most say yes. Some say no. no. But it means that you're going into a negative space inside. Don't do that. It's not good for you. Hazards to your own health. Regards to, to the evil eye, if I ask you a question about the evil eye, um, thinking ill of someone else, does that hurt them? What would you say? Most people say Yes. Well, most people say yes, it hurts them. But Maimonides says, no, it hurts, no, it hurts you because it means that you're going to drive yourself, Meshuggah, and, and that can harm you in the pursuit of, of all this stuff. Make sense? Okay. I want to share with you another text from Maimonides, a Talmudic text and a text from Maimonides that speaks about this same, um, this same dynamic about the evil eye. This is, this is very, very fascinating. Turn to page um, 108. We're skipping, we're going into the appendix for a moment. Yeah, we're treading into uh, uncharted territory. This is uh, it's like, we never, we never do the appendix, right? Sometimes we do. Text 17, page 108. This is how evil eye, I just want to demonstrate how the evil eye is so prevalent in Jewish literature. Most, Maimonides is the exception. He's the outlier. Again, I don't know that Maimonides really would fundamentally you know, absolutely disagree with it. I think he always looks to explain things more logically than super rap, super naturally. I think his take is always more of a rational than a super rational take. So there's a fa fascinating Talmudic law in text 17, just to give you a bit of a background. So um, when it comes to privacy amongst neighbors, like a privacy fence, so who's obligated to pay for a privacy fence between two properties. What do you think? Half and a half. Half and half, split it. Good. It. You would think the one who wants it, but Halacha says? Half and half. half and half. The one who wants it can force the other one because they can say to the other one, look, I want to use my property 
and have privacy in my yard. I want to be able to go outside of my yard and do what I want and not have to worry about you looking at me. That would take away from my use of my own property. Therefore, you're on the hook to pay for the fence to protect my privacy. Again, it's a little bit counterintuitive, or maybe you wouldn't have thought of that, but in halacha, they both have to, he, I can force you to chip in because at the end of the day, you would be the one harming me, so now you're on the hooks to not, to, to avoid that harm. Now here's the question. What if it's not a backyard where I could go, you know, where I would, you know, want privacy? What if it's a garden? The difference between a, a backyard, the, in halacha, the difference is, in a garden, I'm probably not going to be sunbathing, right? Let's say in the, in the, in the garden, right? But I'm, it's just a garden. So you would think that you can't make the other one pay for the fence between their property and your garden, correct? Understand what I'm saying? Well, you, you might not want, they might be jealous of your garden. Oh, one second. Oh, oh, oh. Tech 17. Good. Tech 17. You ready? All right, Donna, please read text 17. All right, take it away. People can compel the neighbor of their garden to participate in building a fence between them. This is in line with the teaching that it is forbidden for people to stand in their friend's field when it is displaying a standing crop, lest they become jealous and cast an evil eye. Look at that. Oh, oh you look at this. So there's, there's another, when it comes to the garden, it's like the standing crop. What's the standing crop law? Standing crop law says, don't stand in your friend's field when their crop has come up. You know why? Don't be, because then you might be jealous and you might, even without wanting to, you might cast them an evil eye. Don't put yourself in a position where you're going to be tempted to not like, right, someone else's success. Right. Don't be looking at someone else's new car too much because the next thing you know, you might find yourself in a space of, of evil eye. Therefore, Halacha says, even though your privacy is not, you have the garden. It's your garden, right? You're the one with the garden. Even though your privacy is not at stake. Why? Because you're not doing anything. It's your garden. Right? You're not standing there. But you could still force the other to pay for the fence. Why? Because they might see your garden be like, wow, look at those azaleas. Hmm. Hmm. How come mine? Oh, really? Oh, wait, I want to hear that in a second. How come my stuff doesn't grow like that? You know, and, and he, here in, in America, in the land of the free home of the brave, we have what I would call lawn envy, right? You know, lawn envy? I have, I have that now. I literally, so in my old house, small house, very small yard. We had a peach tree in the front. It was great. It was lovely and wonderful. However, now I have a, a larger lawn. So listen to this. This is, this is real time happening right now. So I'm thinking to myself, as the grass is like, you know, everyone's grass is getting greener. Why is mine like, it's not so green. And once I, and then it's like, it's now also when we bought it, it was like very lush. And now it's like, it's getting a little patchy. It's like slightly patchy. I'm just saying. And I've noticed it. So I asked the guy who cuts the lawn. Now I got, I kept the same guy who did the lawn before. I'm thinking, I like the way it looks. If I hire the same guy, most likely it's going to look the same. Turns out, turns out my grass seems to be dying on me. I'm like, I need paddles. Like, what are we doing here? Huh? This is, I know. So I asked my guy Tuesday. What's today? Wednesday. Yesterday morning. I made sure to be there when the guy was there. And I'm like, uh, Elmer. That's his name. Elmer. I'm like, Elmer, tell me, why is my grass? Like, what is going on here? He's like, oh, you got Bermuda grass. I'm like, oh, Bermuda grass. I have no idea what that means. Like, why is that? Huh? The other one's fescue? 
Say it again. The old one was fescue grass. I don't. I don't. I see. I didn't even know what you were saying. I don't, yours is really going to be beautiful when theirs is dying in later summer. Ah, is that? Oh, that's not what he told. So what he told me is Bermuda grass needs a lot of direct sunlight, yep. and we have a tree that is growing. He's like, you have to start. You have to trim the tree a little bit. It's a really beautiful tree. To trim the tree to get more sunlight going, on the on the, it needs direct sunlight. So, I, so then I asked him, like, well, one second, between last year and this year, the tree grew so much that now it's blocking. I'm thinking, like, Tamarok way. You're telling me now that I need to cut? I don't mind. I don't mind any of this. I'm not, like, anti, you know, well, keeping. Ah, no, oh, I don't want to remember this. Put a fescue blend in there. So, I, I mean, I, yeah, I would have to look that up because I don't even know the words. But I, I'm just saying like this. <laughs> I, what, do I, what do I know about, about lawns? My point is, my point is, so I, I, we may cut the things and get direct sunlight either way. Or we may just wait till late summer and it's going to come in and all will be good. But, nice. Oh, you see that? So then, so right now, so I've been evil eyeing my across the, across the, like across my, the street. So their lawn is unbelievable. And I look up and there's no trees. I'm like, no wonder. It's also a little thicker. It might be fescue. It might be a blend. I, it might be. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's Kentucky bluegrass. That's all I know about that. Kentucky bluegrass. So my point is that I understand the concept of not looking at someone's garden. So the Talmud says that if you have a beautiful garden, you can actually force your neighbor who doesn't have the beautiful garden to pay for half of the fence. It seems like, what? I have the blue... Imagine the, the other per, party. You have the garden. I need to pay for it. Yeah, because you're going to be tempted to evil eye me. So you, I, this is helping you help me. So therefore, you're going to chip in, right? That's the psychology of this. By the way, you know who disagrees with this? Maimonides. Because he's the rationalist. Oh, he's like evil eyes. Eh, I don't know about that. Let's just, one second. Let me just read Rambam. Look at this. Look at text 18. Claire, please read text 18, 108. Between gardens, neighbors can compel each other to build a fence that is 10 handbreadths tall. Do you know how tall 10 handbreadths are? Not very high. It's about 32 inches. What? Yeah. You know what that's, you know what that's not going to do? Keep the evil eye out. Keep the evil eye out. That's not going to prevent anyone from looking at your garden. What does Rambam say? He says, you can, you can compel your neighbor to put up a fence that demarcates the property line. But you cannot compel someone to put up a fence to prevent the evil eye. You know why? Because it's Maimonides. He's not, he's not thinking about evil eyes. He's too rational. He's like, oh, you're, you're, I'm going to damage you with my evil eye? Seriously. You want a little fence that shows a proper line? I, I'm, I'm on the hook for that. You can't force someone in halacha to pay. And listen, by the way, these are not my own words. Maimonides himself explain. Look at text 19. Maimonides himself in a letter explained his ruling. The question, somebody asked him, well, wait a second, why only 10 handbreadths? You need like a six foot fence, not a 30 inch fence. You need six feet to prevent the other guy from looking in and, and evil eyeing you. Look what he writes. The question, this question is unfitting for wise men such as you. Somebody asked him this in a letter and he writes back, you asked this question. I thought you're smarter than that. There is certainly an, a difference between an invasion of privacy that is caused by a people 
being able to see their neighbors, their, their neighbors conducting their daily affairs, and the caution not to look at a neighbor's produce with an evil eye. The latter is merely an ethical teaching that people shouldn't look at their fellow's property with envy. In other words, you should, going back to Maimonides' way of thinking, that's on you. You're, it's a personal ethical thing. It's like you shouldn't be envious of someone else. The Talmud statement that a full fence is required is not the final halachic conclusion. A full height fence of four cubits, which is six feet, is only required between courtyards where people live and there is damage to privacy. For a garden, a nominal fence, ten handbreadths tall, is sufficient to serve the purpose of a demarcation line between the properties. Again, in halacha itself, in Jewish law itself, the Talmud seems to indicate six foot fence. Maimani says there's no way that that's actually the law. The law is only a little fence to demarcate between the properties because Maimonides does not put a lot of stock into evil eyes. So what I'm hoping emerges from all of this is, and we're, we're, by no, we're, we're, we're just getting into the topic, is, but it's important to know what Jewish opinion is about curses and evil eyes. That's today's class. Most opinions, most Jewish scholars, sages, rabbis, etc., believe that curses could hurt someone else and the evil eye could hurt someone else, God forbid. Maimonides, it's pretty clear, Maimonides is of the opinion that the only one getting hurt is you. So don't curse and don't evil eye, but that's more about you and not them. So far, so good? Is, is there a, uh, uh, a precedent or a reference point why, would you say, most people think evil eye can affect somebody and yeah. Maimonides says something else? Yeah, there's a good reason why most believe that, that evil eye can affect. Because yeah. it's all throughout rabbinic literature. It's all throughout uh, rabbinic literature. It's the way the rabbis learned it. It's all throughout Torah. Um, I have some examples here. Remember Hagar? Um, Abraham was married to Sarah. They couldn't have children. So he brings Hagar in to the marriage. She gets pregnant. According to Chazal, according to our sages, what happens? Sarah, no, she eventually, Sarah had gave her an evil eye, she miscarried. And then she got pregnant again and had Yishmael, that was her second pregnancy. It's in, it's in the Midrash, the Midrash says, it's on, yeah, 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 it's on, so let's actually go through these. I mean, this, this is answering your question, there's an info, we created an infographic just for you. Not an infomercial, but an infographic. Well, page 88? 88, take a look. Here's some reflections of the evil eye. So number one is Hagar or Hagar's miscarriage. Um, the second story is when the brothers, remember when the brothers went down to Egypt, Joseph's brothers, to buy food? It says that they slipped into different lines. Um, there were different lines. I always picture, ever since I was a kid, I picture this. Like, anybody else have this picture of the Holland Tunnel? I don't know why the Holland Tunnel. You know where there's like multiple lanes to get and then everything merged into one tunnel eventually, but there's like all these different lanes? For some reason in my head, it was always like, oh, it was basically the Holland Tunnel type thing. There were different lines, and they all had to pass through Joseph to approve the sale of the food when the drought was going on, when the famine was going on, and, uh, and that was that. Was that. Um, but it says the brothers, the, his ten brothers who came down to buy food, each of them went into a different line. Why? To avoid the Ayan Hara, to avoid the evil eye. Imagine ten good-looking Jewish men, very tall and handsome and striking, you know, with that Mediterranean look. Imagine they all walk in the same line. That would be terrible, right? That would be terrible. Sounds nice, but no, it would be terrible for the evil, for purpose of the evil eye. So that was that. Um, blessing of fish is the next in the infographic. I'm just going through this uh, very, you know, outside briefly. 
um, when Jacob, our patriarch Jacob, blesses Joseph's children, Ephraim and Manasseh, he says, You should multiply like fish. By the way, did I say this last week? What do you call a fish with no eyes? I did say this last week? Oh my gosh, I'm terrible. Wow. Right over my own head. Who can remember? Who can remember which bad joke I said at which opportunity? But getting back to this point. So he blessed. These are the judge people. Yeah, well. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to scale back on these fish jokes. All right. So, yeah, we kind of keep going. <laughs> so, getting back to the point, so he blesses Ephraim and Asher to be like fish. What's with fish? Fish are impervious to the evil eye. That's what it says. Our tradition says fish are impervious to the evil eye, which is why Tashlich, you know, in Rosh Hashanah, uh, we go to a body of water and symbolically cast our sins to the water, but it's supposed to have fish. I think my kids think that they're feeding the sins to the fish in the form of bread. I think there's some sort of conception about that. That's not actually the case. We symbolically cast our sins into the sea, but we go specifically to a body of water that has fish. You know why? Because fish are impervious. They have a force field against the evil eye. Why? Why? We're going to talk about that soon, but basically because they're underwater and their eyes are always open. They have no eyelids. Yeah. Awkward. I once got into a staring contest. I had a goldfish. Got into a staring contest. Goldfish won every single time. I don't know the strategy, but then I realized they have no eyelids. So, like, it's not even a fair competition. They also right. have no memory. Yeah. Right. So, it's, prob- it's, it's probably thinking, oh, anybody watch, uh, what was that movie, Finding Nemo? Yeah. Kind of like Dory, right? Dory, yeah. yeah. Dory. Dory was, Dory was great. Yeah. Dory was great. All right, sorry. Um, getting, back, getting back to uh, famous biblical stories. Oh, David. David. Okay. King David, you guys familiar with the story of King David? His origin story, like his coming of age story, was, of course, David and Goliath. Yeah. Right? The slingshot, right. pow. Goliath was harassing the Jews, Jewish people for weeks, like challenging them to a fight, and no one would step up. And finally, this, this, little, uh, this little guy, David, goes with his... So he was about to step up, and they wanted to give him the king's armor, because the king had the best armor, because he's the king. So they wanted to give him Saul's armor, and he put it on. And, and basically the tradition was, um, kind of like these legends with the sword. If you could pull out the sword, and that means that you're the lead. You know that, those Excalibur. legends? What is it? Excalibur, Excalibur that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's like if, huh? Pull out of the rock or whatever. So if, if, the, if, the, uh, if the armor, if the royal armor fits you, then you're... A royal, it only fits the king. Like Cinderella. Cinderella, Cinderella. right, right. Well, I have, um, I have a rule in life. If the heel fits, you got to wear it. I don't know what that means even. All right, back, back to the story. So what happens is he puts on the, on the armor, the king's armor, and it fits perfectly. And then he begins freaking out a little bit, thinking like, oh, no. Yes, that was the whole thing. He was like a young guy, and the, and the king's armor fit him perfectly. And then Saul, the king, is like, who are you? Was your name David? He doesn't even know him. He just met him for the first time. And meanwhile, like, it fits him perfectly. So um, he's getting a little bit nervous. And so David realizes he get, he's getting evil-eyed. 
right? The king is now not liking him because it fit him perfectly, so he takes off the armor, and that's why he shows up with only a slingshot. That's the background story of why he only has the slingshot. He had armor, but it fit too well. The king was getting jealous, so he just took it off. So again, we have a, a, a classic, you know, biblical story, as it were, that, that speaks about the, the evil eye. By the way, huh? Absolutely, it was a premonition, and you should know it was also a premonition of the relationship, the fraught relationship between Saul and David. Saul wanted it as David's star rose and as his you know fame rose because of the story with Goliath and other uh, other uh, uh, acts of heroism and, and warriorhood. So King Saul got ever increasingly paranoid and jealous of David the point that he sent his people to kill him. What made this more complicated was that David eventually married Saul's daughter. That's what I thought. Very complicated. <laughs> Once again, another complicated Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> hey, where's, where's David? <laughs> hmm, probably hiding from you. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Does all of this, the evil eye, relate back to thou shalt not cover? A lot of it does. Yeah, in other words, if we were not coveting, in, I'll say it in the positive way. If we could look at someone else's fortune and be happy for them, that's the opposite of evil eye. That's what we call an eye and tov, a good eye. A good eye means that you get something good happens to you, and I am happy of, for your fortune. I'm so happy that you had a blessing in your life. A simcha, a purchase, whatever it is, I'm happy. Not Ooh, why do they have it and me not? It's like, you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. That coveting is like, that's, that's the, like, that's the, that's, ugh, that's the point. You could fall this way or that way. I could either be happy for the person or be, be unhappy. And it goes back, I think, to the coveting. Yeah. How come they have it and I don't have it? You know, why, why do they have it and, and et cetera? And then I, I don't feel happy for them. And that's what leads down that negative path that could have harm. By the way, yeah. Well, I had an, a question from earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. When we were at the appendix um, about the fences, and I could see, like, for the privacy fence, splitting it 50-50 because it benefits both sides. To That's have true. Because that, it also works the other way. Correct. The they, you can use your privacy because then I won't look. We can't see in, we can't see out. But, and then, but for the garden, um, does that benefit both, both sides? Because the other side, it would prevent them from from becoming jealous and having an evil eye. Yeah. Excellent question. Ex excellent answer. Mindy? Amazing. Well done. Yes. You know, your question is, when it comes to privacy, it works both ways. But when it comes to the garden, it's only my benefit. Let's, if I have the garden, it's my benefit. It's not your benefit. And the answer is, it is, because it's preventing you from devolving into the person that is casting an evil eye on the other person. Exactly. Because in the most simple view, you think it's only benefiting the person with the garden, but it's also benefit. That's why it has to be 50-50, because exactly. it's also benefiting And them. Maimonides says, evil eyes are good for the stories, but when it comes to legislation, we're only going to legislate a, a very short wall for the benefit, of the, for, the, for the clarity of the property line, but otherwise, your, your evil eye, just be a mensch and, and don't do it. But we're not going to legislate that in halacha. Would the but neighbors yeah. go for that? Like, would they... <laughs> Do they value that? Like, I don't know. According to the Talmud, it seems like whether you value or not, you can make, you can force it. And Maimonides says you can't. He says the Talmud was not speaking according to halacha; it was speaking about ethical 
uh, an ethical perspective, like, you know, better to keep yourself away from coming to that place of jealousy, whereas, but, but legally, you can't, you can't mandate it. Getting back to evil eye, I want to share with you some practices that are uh, prevalent in Jewish tradition where we see that we're kind of cautious about the evil eye. So, for example, when you're counting for a minion, so as you may know, we don't count one, well, I'm like, uh, you, I'm actually going to, I'm not counting. So just so you know, we don't count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We would count either, we would say, sometimes people say not one, not two, not three, not four, which is anti-counting, yeah. I guess. Right? I don't see one person. I don't see two. I don't see three. Oh, she has some, some people use a Hebrew verse uh, that has ten words to it. That has 10 words. So you just count. You just go person by person. Each one has a number. Sorry, each one has a word. And if you finish the verse, you know you have 10 for the minion. If you didn't finish the verse, you still need a few. Um, oh, oh, because counting, good. It goes before, it goes before the Holocaust. Counting, it could also be related, but counting predates that by, by thousands of years. Counting is deemed, first of all, the Torah says, God says in the Torah, not to count. The biblical senses happen. People or children. It happens through the machatzit hashekel. It happens through the half a coin. Remember, they donated a half a coin. They counted the money, and then they knew how many people there were. They didn't count the people directly. Why? Because that would create the potential for an evil eye. Because when you find out the number, when you count, it's like, oh, look how many people. Boom, somebody might get a little jealous or a little bit negative on that. Anything that's that looks too good, there's a danger. Sorry? Oh, for like a service, like oh, okay. a oh, like a prayer service, oh, okay. that sort of thing. Yeah, you need a quorum. Well, it's always better for more people, but if you're counting to see how many people there are, it could create a little bit of a challenge. Also, another interesting thing: when you call people up to the Torah for an aliyah, the custom is not to call uh, two siblings back to back or a parent, a father, and a son back to back. Why? Because because ayin hara because of the evil eye. Because people say, oh, look at, the, uh, look at the Goldstein family taking over the synagogue. Oh, look at those big shots. And so, somebody might do that. So we want to avoid it. That's why if there's a simcha like a bar mitzvah or whatever, you'll actually stagger. You can still do relatives, but you don't do like immediate relatives. You'll do like the brother-in-law. They didn't go back to back. Exactly. For this, for Ayin Hara. What I'm saying is Ayin Hara is a real thing to the point that the guy... Why? Straight up. By the way, you could see this. If you want to see this for yourself, look at page um, 80 or 90, maybe 90. No, turn. Keep on turning. Turn to page 90. See that? Um, on the top right, Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law. It is permissible to call two brothers or father and son to the Torah consecutively. However, this is not done due to concern for the evil eye. We don't do it because of the evil eye. Straight up halacha, yes, 100%. So, so you could conceptually, but you, we don't do it in practice because of the evil eye. So you would stagger. You would go like one child, and then maybe a brother-in-law, or a cousin, or an uncle, and then you would swing back the other kid, or a stranger. You would, you would mix it up in between so as not to, not to have it too much going on. Um, the final thing is, uh, that I wanted to mention on this page 90, is that in our prayers in the morning, we ask, we actually say, May it be your will, my God, bottom right, 
corner of that infographic on page 90. May it be your will, my God and God of my fathers, to protect me this day and every day from insolent people and from impudence, from wicked people, from, evil, from an evil companion, from an evil neighbor, from an evil occurrence, and from an evil eye. We actually ask that God protect us, that no one should be jealous of us or wish us harm through the evil eye. So that is a little bit about um, historically and, and, and on practice level, what's the deal with the evil eye? Now, of course, probably the most famous appearance of evil eye warding off in Jewish practice is the saying of the epic phrase, Kanahara, or Kinahara, which actually, which actually is a bit of a, a quick pronunciation of three, of three, of three words comes from a Yiddish phrase, Kain Ayin Hara. Kenayin Hara. What is that? Kain Ayin Hara. That means let there not be, Kain means there shouldn't be, an Ayin Hara, an evil eye. The context that you would say that is, wow, right? if you're the bubby, let's say, and you look at the kid, you're seeing the grandkids, wow, the kids are beautiful. Kain Ayin Hara. Let there not, let no one think ill about these Precious uh, children. No, it's Yiddish. Kuv yud yud nun. Cain. Yeah, no, not Cain as in yes. It's Cain as in no. It's the in Yiddish. It sounds the same, but it's 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 not Cain. It's uh, it's low. In Hebrew, you would say bli ayin bli ayin hara. You would say bli ayin hara. Yeah, ben porat Yosef exactly because Yosef is also connected with Menashe and Ephraim. His kids were blessed with no having an even evil eye. He's Yes, Ben Parat Yosef, yes. So we, we evoke Yosef also like an anti Einhard. But again, the context of saying that would be when something positive is going on, or when you're praising something, you would say, Bli Ayin, wow, that's a beautiful car, Bli Ayin Hara. That means no one should think ill of it. What you're, 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 what you're evoking is no one should look at this and wish it harm. And it should happen, God forbid. Everyone should be happy for your blessing. So when in the Ten Commandments, when God says, Lot Yeah, don't covet. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, exactly. So, what is something? Bli or something else. That means you're, you're pledging, but you're not uh, binding. By the way, take a look at text 7. Everything that I just said is text 7. This is from the Chida. The Chida writes, when people commend the wisdom, wealth, family, etc., of others, they must bless them that they not be affected by the evil eye, right? If, if someone, someone makes a great deal, someone uh, sells their business for, they sell their startup for $10 million, say, wow, what an amazing bracha, what amazing blessing you have to sell your business, bli ayin hara. If I'm commending you, of course I love you. We're good friends. Of course I'm happy for you. What I'm saying to you is that I hope that no one else Look sideways at you. I hope no one else wishes you harm. I, so when I say how amazing something is, I always follow it by saying, Bli ayin hara, or kain ayin hara, or kinahara, as, uh, as, it, as it emerged in English, whatever, in America, kind of like merged together and got a little bit twisted. But, the, but, the, but the, the, the blessing and the wish is the same. No one should wish ill on you or your blessings. That's, a, that's an expression of love. I love your success, Lian Hara, may no one look at you and, and, and be, be envious. 
Now let's spend uh, just a few minutes very quickly looking at the mechanics of what actually causes uh, curses and evil eye to have an effect. Again, with the exception of Maimonides, it seems like Jewish, the Jewish position is pretty clear on this. Curses can hurt, evil eyes can cause harm, and we shouldn't do that. But the question is, how does it work? I'm going to give you three explanations of this very quickly. Number one is what I like to call the energy effect. You know, everything we say or think, whatever, expresses an energy. That's the way it works. Everything creates an energy. Um, and when, when we wish harm, whether it's verbally or even through our minds, wishing harm has an effect. There's a story told, a powerful story, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. He was once traveling around. He used to travel around a lot with his students. They arrived at a small town and they went to the synagogue for the morning prayers. And they were praying and minding their own business. After the prayers, after davening, two congregants got into a fight. Not a physical fight, but they were shouting, yelling at each other after the service was over. They were yelling. And one guy says to the other, finally, I hate you. I'm going to rip you apart like a fish. That's what he says. Weird expression, that's what he says. Bashamtav said to his students, gather in a circle and let's hold hands. They made the circuit and suddenly they all, all of his students saw the most fearsome sight. They saw these two guys and they saw one of them literally ripping the other one physically ripping them apart. And they all shrieked in, in horror, and they, of course, dropped their hands, and then they, and then they, they didn't see that. Baal was showing them is that everything that we say actually creates a reality, but on a different, different plane. So it creates everything that we express, or even think, creates a reality. Now, we may not be able to see it, but on some dimension of, of reality, that happened. So you, someone says, I'm going to rip you apart like a fish, God forbid, right? On some level, that actually takes effect. So it's no surprise that curses or evil eyes can have an effect because energy. Second explanation, that's explanation one. Explanation number two. And you see why three explanations are important because when we talk about how to block curses and evil eyes, depending on which explanation, that's going to be the method. So you'll see what I mean in a second. So method, uh, rationale number one for why it can have a negative effect is just because it's because of energy. It, everything that we do or say has creates energy, and that can create a problem. Second point is that typically God deals with us um, in the modality of chesed, which means kindness. You know, the moment we make a mistake and act in a way that's not so you know not so kosher, it's not like we get zapped instantly. Because typically God is forgiving, God is compassionate, and God gives us second chances, third chances. Every Yom Kippur, right, we say, um, I'll hate this, I'll hate that, I'm sorry, we, we tap our chest, I'll never do it again. And God's like, eh, I've, seen, I've seen that movie before. But, 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 no, but God is very forgiving. And God gives us a new lease, and he says, you know what, I'll take you at your word. God's not cynical like that. But what happens when we speak ill of someone else or evil eye them, what happens is God says, oh, well, hold on. Maybe I should look a little bit more closely. It's kind of like the government, the IRS. It's like, hmm, there's a little, there's a little red flag. Maybe we should audit that person. So typically God's like in this chesed modality of this kind, judgmental, a non-judgmental reality. But if somebody, start, somebody says, oh, that person, this and this should happen, or that and that, or, or thinking negatively, so then God takes a little bit of a closer look. And once God takes a closer look, you know, that, that can bring, God forbid, negativity on the person. That's the second explanation. The third explanation 
is that um, it's not about the cursor or the evil eyer, it's about the recipient of the curse and the evil eye. In other words, if somebody is getting, is receiving the curse or the evil eye, it's likely or it's possible, or maybe more than possible, but quite likely, that they were living their lives in a way that is a little bit public, or maybe not that they were necessarily flaunting their blessings, but maybe that they were, the blessing was exposed enough that others should see it, notice it, and then cast an evil eye at it. So clearly it was out in the open. And typically, when things are out in the open, there's more divine scrutiny on, on that and, uh, and more divine judgment, whereas when things are on the down low, there is more uh, blessings to be found. So with, with this understanding, so again, there's three understandings. Number one, the negative energy effect. Number two, the divine judgment effect. And number three, the living in the public eye effect. So those are the three explanations. Based on these three explanations, we can understand how we might ward off negativity. So if it's about negative energy, Right, so one person has the ability to send negative vibes to another person and have that affect them. So then we need things to block that from happening. Right, so one method is the khamsa. What's the khamsa? Tur turn to page, um, let's skip some pages here. Turn to page 96. Another infographic. The khamsa is the hand or the palm with five fingers. And you can see on the page where um, the, 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 the rabbinic origins and the sources that speak about the power of the Khamsa, you know, you can see some, some text from there about it. Usually it has the letter hey, and this is a method to, to ward off, to block the, uh, the, the negative energy of the evil eye. Of course, there's the red string. For some reason, the way they wrote about it in the book is they were very skeptical about the red string. There are other sources that speak um, less skeptically about the red string. I don't know why they chose to include the ones that are a little bit cynical about it. Anyway, if you turn the page, you'll see, or look at the next page, I'm sorry, you'll see there's amulets, um, in, in, uh, including the Shir Malot, the prayer that I mentioned before, that's put um, in the house or in the child's bedroom when a baby is born, and of course, spitting. So these are various, um, various things, right? Spitting made it. Um, by the way, according to the Yashrish Yaakov, spitting serves as protection against the evil eye. The act of spitting is intended to conceal the person's praiseworthy conduct and presents a facade of negativity by degrading oneself so that there'll be nothing for the evil eye to attach itself to. It's like, oh, me, I have blessings, and you spit and whatever, and that's like, me, look at me, there's nothing to see here. All right, fine. So that's one approach. Um, another approach, if, if it's all about uh, the divine audit and looking at our uh, righteousness or, or, or the opposite, so then the solution to the evil eye and the curse would be to pick up our game. In other words, to be more, a little bit more Jewy, a little bit more Jewishly connected. Take a look at text number 10. I want to read this one. So there was once a woman who wrote a letter to Lubavitcher Rebbe asking about the evil eye, and she was concerned that, she, that people were going to give her or giving her the evil eye. She was concerned about ayin hara. So look what the Rebbe writes. If your mezuzot are kosher, and most importantly, your daily conduct is in accordance with Torah law, it is absolutely impossible for the evil eye to have any effect on you. On the most basic level, firmly resolving to align your daily conduct with the guidance of our living Torah and to observe the mitzvot about which we are told you will live with them is God's command. In addition, this is the path to receiving God's blessing, God's blessings in everything that you do. What, uh, sorry, in everything that you need. So the point of this is, if the issue with the evil eye is that it's going to arouse divine judgment and divine scrutiny, so then, fine, don't worry about that. So then elevate your game. Make sure your mezuzot are kosher. Again, mezuzah, right? the scrolls on the doors are about divine protection. So make sure that you have that divine protection. 
Make sure you're, you know, you're doing as many mitzvot as you can every single day. And then you have nothing to worry about. Because even if God is taking the magnifying glass, you're good. You're good to go. So don't, don't, uh, don't, don't get too paranoid about it. You're good to go. And finally, the last piece is, you know, if the issue is that we're living a little bit too much of a public life and putting ourselves out there, then the solution would be to be a little bit more uh, um, on the down low. We had, when I asked before about superstitions, and some mentioned about not... There were some that, that pertained to this. I don't remember what was said. Did somebody mention not taking a baby out before a certain number of months? 40 days or whatever? Also, also, also before the bris. But the idea of keeping things on the down low, like not, maybe not announcing a pregnancy, whatever it is, like keeping things quiet is the key to blessings. To, to that point, I just want to read another quick text or two. Um, Text 13 is really powerful from the Talmud. The Talmud says, I'm going to read it in Hebrew first because it's beautiful. Blessing is only found in a matter concealed from the eye. If you want a bracha, if you want blessing, shh, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Keep the, keep, keep the thing quiet. You're working on a business deal. Don't tell everybody. Just keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Don't show off. Good. Why? Why? Because again, the third rationale for evil, why evil eye works is because the person who got it put themselves out there too much. So the solution is be a little bit more discreet. I know it's high. So it's better anyway on every level. It's for mental health, for emotional health. Look, we live in a world, let's be honest here, we live in a world that more than ever it's all about sharing. Social media and it's whatever, whatever it is, it's all about sharing. But Jewish, um, the Jewish uh, attitude has always been keep things a little bit down. You never know how you're, you're putting yourself out there might hurt someone else. You never, it's good for you, it's good for them, and you know what? It helps mitigate this whole evil eye thing. Because you're on the down low, no, you're not flaunting things. Flaunting things are, the only exception to this rule is when you're doing something like a mitzvah, like for example, tzedakah, Traditionally, we do make a big deal about that. Why? In order to encourage others to give as well. So, right, it's a, it, a person, now you could go either way. A person might say, well, I want to give and not have my name, let's say, in a building because uh, I want to be discreet and there's a, it's a new yeah. But there's actually an advantage, which is fine if a person wants that, but there's also an advantage of actually putting it out there. Why? Because that might encourage someone else to give, even for the wrong, even for the quote-unquote wrong reasons, because they want to get their name on a building. You know what? Let them have a name on a, let, let them give for the wrong reasons, but give. You know, let them give to a good cause, um, albeit for not exactly the purest of motives. So the exception would be for a mitzvah. For a mitzvah, we do go a little bit Less discreet, the more discreet, but in general, discretion is always good. I want to. Give in memory of people because it's not going to curse them. That's that's also bless them and and, yeah. And again, giving is always right. We always want to want to promote that to encourage more. Yeah. So if you wear something with the evil eye on it, is that to protect you? So there are certain amulets that people say, certain styles that this will ward off the evil eye. But there, there's certain ones that are brought down in, in classic Jewish works, like the chamsa, like the, like the, the, the hand thing, um, and the red string is also brought down. I don't know about jewelry with an actual eye on it. There might be a source... I don't know. I haven't seen that. 
Um, but it would be typically the ones that are brought down in traditional sources with an explanation of why those help block that negative energy. Um, I don't know if an actual embodiment of an eye, uh, I, I would have to look that up to see if that's, that's in a source. It might be. It might be. Oh, okay. With an eye on it? They have an eye on it? There you go. They have jewelry with an actual eye on it. Interesting. 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 It's kind of under, under low key. Oh, okay, so so if it's if it's so if it's if it's very prevalent, then I would assume that there's some source. It's not here, and I, I'm not familiar with it directly. But again, it, I, I'm not. You know, we're not covering all of the different um, traditions. But the idea is that there's different approaches. If we think that it's about the negative energy and we want to block it, then we need amulets. If we think it's about divine auditing, then we step up our game. If we think it's about us being too ostentatious, then we go discreet. We could do all three, we could do one, but I would say the main thing is not to be too worked up about it because there are ways to, to negate it. And I think about you know, aligning ourselves more with divine values, more with our, our values, really our inner values, and, um, and making sure to, to, to lead a life of, 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 uh, in more, in more of, a, of a low key way as opposed to ostentatious. I think that, is, that, that seems to be the recipe for success and, and making sure that no, nothing negative befalls. The final point I'll say as we close out, because we spoke a lot about curse and evil lies, and we saw how you know most opinions are that these do have power. Maimonides says it's not about them, it's about you. Um, but one, one thing's for sure, that we know that the power of good is always greater than the power of evil. So if we have this superpower where we can have the ability to harm others through words or thoughts, how much more so do we have the superpower to heal and to help others through our words and through our thoughts. And so in, in, in my, my final words for today's class to you all is, is as follows. Let's use our words not for curses, but for blessings. Let's use our words not to criticize, but to lift up each other. Let's use our thoughts not to look askew at someone else and their success or to think ill of someone else and wish them harm, but rather to wish them well to think positive thoughts about someone else. And we'll conclude with two more, uh, two more texts about this. Take a look at text um, 15. This is the good eye. The good eye. When you look, uh, page 103, when you look at your fellows with a good eye, you give them blessings and you also receive blessings yourself. The verse states, a person who has a generous eye will be blessed. And using alternative vocalization, this can also be read as will bless. So when you have a good eye, a generous eye, what that means is what we said before. When someone else successful, you look at them and are happy for them. You're literally happy for, their, for, their, for, their, uh, for their, their good blessings. When you do that, you give yourself blessings and you give the other blessings. The jealous eye harms them and you. The good eye blesses them and blesses you. And finally, the last piece of this is text 16, page 106. The Baal Shem Tov taught, that a blessing given by a close friend is more influential in heaven and more likely to achieve its desired effect than the angel Michael Michal's intercessions and pleas for mercy. The heavenly angels can't affect blessing as much as you and I blessing each other. And so sometimes we think, well, what can I really say or do? Someone's going through a hard time. Say a blessing. I bless you. I give you a bracha. I bless you that you should have good health, that you should have parnasah. Wealth that you should have nachat, the uh, good, good, good family uh, uh, tidings. 
I bless you, right? We should, we should evoke, we should verbalize blessings for each other, and the blessings have tremendous power. At the end of the day, if nothing else from this class, what I hope that you, you remember is that we have these superpowers, our words and our thoughts. But like any superhero, there's one message. Use your power for good. May the Schwartz be with you. No, but really use, use, remember that one. Use your power. Superman could fly for good or for not, for not good. Right? Use your power for good. Positive words and positive thoughts. Yeah. I can bless. I can say God bless you. No, that's the point. You bless. Birchat hadid. Yes, you bless also. That's the whole point. The whole point is, sure, you can pray that God bless. That's also true. We still believe in God. But at the same time, we also believe in our power. Maybe Rambam would say, maybe my mind is... Yeah, for sure. Good. Good. Sure. No, even perfect. Say that. Say that. I, I wish you. Yeah. Or wish or good wishes. What? If 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 the if the blessing if the if that word bracha if that word is is too big for you, then use wish. Hundred percent. It's essentially right. It's essentially the same thing. The point is, we should. Ver- yeah. But but but. But Hashem put us here, Hashem put us here to help each other. And when remember, we create energy. We want to create positive energy. If we can do this for the negative, we can do this for the positive, how much more so? And we should do it for the positive. Bless, bless, bless. Or, or good wishes and good thoughts. When somebody needs something, needs a bracha, we should be thinking about them for the good. When somebody gets a blessing, we should be happy for them and hope for their for the benefit even more. And you know what? It comes back. Who mentioned that before, right? You mentioned that, Joanne. Right, it comes back like a boomerang. Comes back, karma. Right, you wish something positive on someone else, it hits there and it hits back. Yeah. It's like the picture here. Which, which page? Page 108. The parents blessing their children on Shabbat. How beautiful. You do have that. Right. Or Yesimcha Lokim Kefraim Chemnasha. Right. No, no, true. But through you, you're the conduit. Right. Yeah, or you could even say, may Hashem bless you. And with that, yeah. with that, you're blessing that Hashem should bless. You're wishing that Hashem should bless. Either way is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like who are we that works also. That works also. But right. also like a bride on your wedding day, the bride can sit and give out blessings. Yeah. I've seen where like people are like, oh, I'll take a blessing from a bride. Because from a bride on her wedding day, like, 100%. give out blessings, that's like elevated more than just like a regular. It's like Oprah. You get a blessing. You get a blessing. You get a blessing. You get a blessing. All right. That's it for today. Yes. No. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. I, I love this class. It's so exciting. Next week, here's a teaser. I'm going to read my notes. Next week's class is entitled Para and Normal. Does Judaism believe in angels and demons? Is there intelligent life out there in the universe? Can we communicate with the souls of our deceased loved ones? In next week's lesson, we will explore Jewish teachings about alternative life forms and what they mean to us. Join me next week for the incredible finale of Supernatural. I cannot this believe so we already have to lesson great. four. This is so much fun. By the way, yeah. Hold on, before you tell the story, I just want to make a quick announcement because I know some people are going to leave. Um, just so you know, we are also having a book launch. Um, somebody from the community, Rabbi Mendel Edelman, he just wrote a book called The Lodestone, which is a beautiful book about ethics and values in Judaism and Torah. Um, and what happens when Torah values 
disagree with our human values. Like, how does that, how do we reconcile that? Book launch and book signing coming up this coming Monday night at 7.30. And then we also have two weeks from tonight, we have a special lecture from a South African rabbi, Rabbi Levi Weinberg. He's going to be flying in from South Africa for the holiday, and he'll be speaking about Torah in 23, Torah in 2023, modern Torah, I mean, Torah uh, uh, um, messages for a modern world. And next week, I will announce more courses that we can study together over the next little bit to continue the study. Pleasure. Story. Yes. Oh, thank you. Neighbors, you. They're new, okay? They're staring at us. Got it. Tell me about it. Saying stuff. Really? So we said, what? Yeah. No, like, oh, I see that you're in the poverty. It's only March. Aren't you close? All kinds of, you know. Interesting. So we planted a privacy fest. We put, we put trees. Do you have a privacy tree? Yeah. So they were looking good. I ran into my neighbor. She's like, I love your new trees. Mm. <laughs> and they started dying. Oh wow. Wow. You think that they did something or said something or thought something? Yeah. Okay. Bliyan Bliyan Hara. The reason why they look good is because you're going around going and watering the plants. Oh. My husband tells me, oh, they look good. It's a totoos. It doesn't Yeah, do not, do not say that. Do not get ahead of yourself. I'm telling you, she said something. Pleasure, pleasure. I'm so, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. At the end of the day. You know, putting out, I'm still into putting out. I'm still into putting out. And not only that, I've gotten, and I think it's something so, oh, it's draining. It's draining. Yeah. Can you say a blessing for my neighbor that is having a really hard time yeah, but I agree with you. Being around the negative energy can be very draining. It literally just, it's an energy suck, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm so much more aware of that yeah. now than I used to be. And, and, it's, and it's fine to kind of allocate our energies and our, you know, our time. It's, you know, it, if we can exude positive energy and then be around those with positive energy, that's just, that's a game changer. Yeah. And I appreciate, you know, from the get-go, you saying about the energy coming back, because that's such a, that's such a key piece of it. Yes, that's so important. And yeah. And I had a problem with my breast. And I, but I wasn't really. It wasn't envious. It was just like, yours is so beautiful. Right. What do you do? What do you do? Right. What do you do? That yeah, yeah, yeah. That and that's died. fine, and that's fine. But, yeah, that's absolutely fine. But to see something and to like it and to want you know something like that, all of that is fine. But it's it's when you don't want them to have it. Exactly. That's when it's what it's like. I hope yours also doesn't look. That's already. I was talking about my grass. Oh, grass envy. I'm telling you, I never experienced this. This this last week, was the first time in my life. I, I can't say I've never noticed a lawn before, but I was never invested in a lawn. 
But now I'm like, why is, like, what's wrong with my grass? Anyway, very funny. All right, bye guys. Bye, Bracha, bye, Henrietta. Good to see you. Hope you enjoyed today's class. We'll see you soon. Yeah, Rachel was on. Yeah, she was on, yeah. Hey, pleasure. Shavuot, we'll see you. Take care. I also wish it was six weeks. I know. So nice to meet you. Thanks for coming.